Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Giese, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Albany Empire quarterback Tommy Grady joins the show to talk about returning to the team in a new league. Then former RPI hockey player and union assistant coach Ben Barr will be on the show to talk about becoming the new head coach of the main men's hockey team. First up, it's the start of a new era for the Tri-City Valley Cats. After playing in the New York Penn League from 2002 to 2019, the Valley Cats were left out of Major League Baseball's reorganization of the minor leagues. They joined the Independent Frontier League and the Open Play Thursday at the Sussex County Miners down in New Jersey. On Monday, I made the trip to Joseph L. Bruno Stadium to talk with manager and former Major League slugger Pete Incavilia. Well, Pete, welcome back to the podcast. Appreciate you coming on. It's nice to be in, in, in person with you here at the, uh, at the Joe. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, uh, I got in here, I think, it was late April, and, you know, myself and Matt and Rick, and, you know, working, uh, you know, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's, and then, uh, you know, we got spring training rolling on the 13th, and uh, we're three, th- three days away, so, uh, you know, um, I think, you know, things have gone better than expected as far as player-wise. I feel like, you know, we got a, a team that'll compete, uh, but, you know, uh, it'll be good to see him play some some real games against you know real opponents in our in our league and uh we'll take it from there uh, we're talking here on monday so the season starts thursday what is the roster how is the roster uh, coming together right now for you uh pretty much i'm going to carry probably 13 pitchers and 11 position players right now we're at 24 but there has been talk because of uh, how many guys have been getting signed by major league baseball uh, we've already lost three um, and we might lose two more that they might let us expand the roster to 26 for the first three weeks. So uh, we got our fingers crossed about that because, uh, you know, having extra bodies and not having to cut people that, you know, have been here working for two weeks, you know, would be the best situation for us as, you know, a ball club. Yeah. Is there anybody that the, the fans around here would know as far as uh, who could be on this roster? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Andrew Bellotti pitched in the big leagues with the Twins, and uh, Dennis Phipps, uh, you know, played in the big leagues with the Reds. Uh, Juan Silverio uh, would be a guy that people would probably know. Uh, Cochran Gill, uh, Oakland A's, you know, AAA, AA guy. I mean, you know, it, it's a good mix, you know. We have, uh, you know, some big league guys, you know, a lot of AAA, AA guys, and then we have our 10 rookies, you know, your guys that could be anything from – you know, uh, you know, extended spring, low A ball, high A ball to, you know, kids that uh, have never played in affiliated ball or maybe college kids that have never played uh, a day in professional baseball. For the fans here unfamiliar with the Frontier League, how, what's, how many veterans can you carry? How many rookies do you have to carry? Well, they're all classified, so you can carry three veterans, and that's uh, three players over the age of 29. And then you can carry seven E2s, which are guys that are under the age of 29 but have, you know, AAA and AA experience. So you get seven of those, and then you get your E1s, which is your guys with three years of qualifying league service. And then you got your, you know, your, ten, your rookie ones and your rookie twos, 
you know, which uh, you know, or one or two years in you know uh, affiliated baseball. What are you looking for at the start of the season here with the, with the team? Uh, I mean, you know, obviously, you haven't had much I mean, as far as you know, be playing. Uh, you did play Quebec a couple games, but uh, as far as you know, how this team's going to look, uh, what kind of style do you want to play early on, and is this going to be a, a work in progress as you, you, as the season goes along? Well, I mean, uh, you know, we got to play a couple games early. You know, we, we you know we were knocking off a bunch of rust, so you know it's hard to see. I, I think guys have have gotten better in our simulated games. Uh, you know, our pitchers have gotten better and they're getting built up and our hitters have started to catch up to the pitchers, which is pretty normal. The pitchers are usually ahead of the hitters a little bit. Um, you know, I think we got a ball club. I think we can do, you know, uh, do everything that the game asks us to do. You know, I mean, we can play small ball. We can, you know, hit some home runs. Uh, you know, we can move runners. We can steal bases. Um, I think that our staff is, you know, uh, going to command the fastball. We're going to throw strikes and hopefully keep our walks to a minimum. And, you know, uh, hopefully that, you know, whatever that day dials up, because you know you really don't know what kind of game you're going to play until you play it. Uh, you know, you know, the both starting pitchers are good, and you know it's going to be more of a pitcher's duel, or you know, you're scoring a lot of runs early in the game. So scoreboard dictates, you know, how you're going to manage and and uh, you know, prepare for that game. You know, we're seeing a lot in Major League Baseball with analytics playing a role. You know, small ball is sort of frowned upon, especially in the 10th inning, which you think when you put that automatic run on second base, you would play small ball to move the runner up. Stolen bases are really sort of passe at this point. Is this the kind of ball that the fans want to see in the Major Leagues and they see it here that's going to be an exciting brand of baseball? Well, you know, um, I, I think the game, you know, here at this level, you know, um, uh, you're going to see a little more, uh, you know, hitting and running, and I think you'll see a little more of bunting and moving guys, runners, and guys, you know, playing the game the way they used to play it. Um, you know, obviously we don't have all that analytical information. Um, I think, you know, analytics, I think, you know, some of it's great. Um, but I still think there's a human element in the game and you still got to have some feel and you still got to know your players and get to know your players on a daily basis and, you know, make sure that, you know, nothing's going on in their life. I mean, I, you know, that's the only thing analytics doesn't cover is, you know, how, you know, analytics doesn't, you know, you can't measure a man's heart through analytics, you know, so... Uh, there's still that human element side, so I think it's a, a it's a marriage of both. To me, I think maybe the, the two most evil words in baseball right now are launch angle. Uh, I mean, that was never. I mean, you were a slugger in Major League Baseball, but that was never talked about. Uh, launch angle is that a detriment? Do you think people are so worried about launch angle? I mean, I look at a guy, a guy like the Phillies Scott Kingery, who was you know was projected to be a, a great player, and I think he got caught up in the launch angles, basically ruined his career. Well, you know, I think every player has strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, you know, my strength was I hit the ball out of the ballpark. Um, you know, uh, back when I was playing, you know, you know, they wanted on-base percentage and contact. And so I had to, you know, cut my strikeouts down and, <clears throat> and kind of adhere to what the game wanted then. And, you know, now it's, you know, guys can strike out 250 times a year and they don't care. You know, it's basically... You know, uh, they'll shift, and the players are trying to hit the hit hit the ball over the shift. Where, you know, if, if they shifted on us, we would try to figure out how to hit the ball where they weren't. You know, so it's a completely different you know game that you know I played when I was in the big leagues. Um, 
you know, I, I think some people may like this, but, uh, you know, for me, I, you know, I like the fact that, you know, stolen bases and going up to the plate with a man on second or one out or less, and you're trying to hit a ground ball or base hit the other way to move the runner. I mean, uh, you know, to me, that's an important part of the game because that's an unselfish, you know, that player is an unselfish player. And usually good things happen when you're trying to be an unselfish player. So, um, uh, you know, our guys are taught to be fundamentally sound as hitters, as pitchers, and as fielders. And I believe that's a, a fundamentally sound thing for a hitter to know the situation and try to move the runner so we can win a game. You say you got here uh, around April. I'll be happy to ch- had a chance to uh, get around the area and you know, get to know the, the area a little bit. Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's a beautiful area. The weather's been great. Um, you know, we've gotten a lot of good work in. Um, you know, driven around Albany a little bit and a little bit around Troy and just, you know, very happy uh, to be here. I mean, it's a beautiful town. Uh, you know, uh, the front office here is great. You know, Rick and Matt are terrific and they do a wonderful job here and uh, they have a wonderful span base. So the facility is great, the clubhouse, the cages, you know, the amenities, the amenities here are fantastic. So uh, uh, our players are excited about being here and like I said, you know they're ready to go out and start playing. I mean, they're 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 chomping at the bit to get after it and start the season. I heard you did not mention Schenectady. You haven't been to Schenectady yet. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. No, I have not been to Schenectady yet. Well, you got to get over there. I haven't. I haven't uh, ventured out that far yet. So, uh, you know, basically, you know, I'm spending most of my time here at the stadium. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you had a chance to get? to feel the fan base yet because they've been used to having affiliated ball here since 2002. The area did have independent baseball uh, from 1995 through 2002 at the Albany Colony Diamond Dogs and North League. It's a league I covered uh, over there. Uh, do you get the sense that they're accepting the fact they're, that they're not going to be affiliated baseball, but you're bringing a different, exciting brand of baseball to the area? Well, I'll tell you, you know, we played those two games early against Quebec, and, I mean, the fans were great. I mean, they were into it. They were loud. Um, you know, I think there was about 750 people here for both games, and it was wonderful. And, I, you know, I, I think the fans are going to enjoy it because, you know, this is about winning, and I think, you know, affiliated ball is about development. And I get both sides, but, you know, to me, you have to develop players to learn how to play the game to win. And uh, that's what I love about this model. It's what I love about the indie ball model. And, um, you know, I think our fans are going to fall in love with it. You also mentioned you lost some players in Major League Baseball already. But is, is that a good thing because uh, they're getting a look at by Major League Baseball? And then that way, you know, you can also, you know, we, we've seen a number of uh, Tri-City Valley Cats make it to the Major Leagues with the Houston Astros and other teams. So uh, to have some, you know, these, some of these players get signed by Major League teams, how much of a bonus is that? Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, the model for here is to get as many guys as you can signed and, uh, you know, win at the same time. I mean, that's the trick, you know, losing your best players and continue to try and somehow replace them and uh, and win, you know, which is a, a tough task. Um, but, yeah, I mean, players talk. You know, if players start getting signed, guys who don't have jobs or guys get released, you know, they're going to want to play where guys are getting signed out of. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's kind of how I've done things over the last 16 years. And, you know, good players talk to good players. And when, you know, players are getting signed and getting a second chance in affiliated ball, 
you know, they're going to come back and want to play for us. They're going to tell three guys that they played with an affiliated ball, and you know, we'll 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 start instead of me having to pursue them, they'll start come calling me. Yeah, you obviously you're in the major leagues. Does that help attract players? Do you think with you having been a major leaguer? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, my network. You know, I've been in baseball over 35 years, and. You know, uh, as a player, as an instructor, you know, I, you know, I've been, I've done this for a long time, so I have a large network of people, and uh, you know, I, I've sent so many guys back to affiliated ball that I think they trust my evaluations now, and uh, you know, they call me on a regular basis if they, if they're in need of something, and uh, I think there's no question, you know, my 12 and a half years in the big leagues and my 35 years in the game holds a little weight, and uh, you know, helps these guys get signed to. You know, last year at the pandemic, nobody played in the minors. How exciting will it be when the first pitch is thrown Thursday at Sussex County? Oh, it'll be great. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys haven't played in, a, in an organized baseball game in two years, like you said. So, you know, these guys are knocking off the rust, and, you know, they want to get back to doing what they love to do, and that's playing baseball. So, um, you know, I, I, don't, I think we'll all be excited, including myself, you know, to get back to some sense of normalcy, you know, with the game of baseball. And then the home opener, uh, June 4th, against the New Jersey Jackals. Uh, obviously, they've always drawn big crowds for the opener. I mean, how exciting would be a play in front of? I don't know what the capacity will be at the point, but obviously, with the uh, uh, pandemic rules getting eased a little bit, I mean, it'll be nice to have a packed house. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, there's nothing that gets a baseball player excited when you got you got a bunch of fans in the stands. Uh, you know, that's a, that's you don't need to motivate players when you got a full house and. And, you know, there's energy in the stadium. So, uh, you know, our players are going to be ecstatic for our home opener. And hopefully, you know, we have a good turnout and it's loud and people are excited and into the baseball game. And, you know, hopefully we get off to a good start and give us, you know, the fans around here something to come watch. Pete, uh, appreciate you coming on again. Uh, good luck this season. We'll definitely talk as the season progresses. All right. Thank you very much. The Valley Cats home opener is Friday, June 4th against the New Jersey Jackals. With the easing of restrictions due to the coronavirus pandemic, how will attendance look at the start of the season? I spoke to Valley Cats General Manager Matt Callahan about that. So we're continuing to adapt as the um, guidelines evolve. Um, we had planned for about 33% capacity, which would be 2,000 people. Um, those seats were, were socially distant. As the... Um, Restrictions have been eased, and there's been some carve-outs for uh, folks that are vaccinated. We do feel like we'll be able to expand the capacity a bit, probably to somewhere around 2,500 uh, for June, and we expect that to, to go up over 3,000 for, for July. So we will have some sections, a few sections at each game um, where we can have more people sitting together in a vaccinated section, uh, but we will also have socially distanced seats uh, for folks that are not vaccinated or choose not to disclose uh, their status. Are you hoping by the end of the, as the season progresses that you'll be able to have 100% capacity? Yeah, certainly that's our hope. You know, we, we want to give as many people as possible the opportunity to uh, to come to the ballpark and enjoy the game in a safe, safe manner. Um, I do think that things are progressing towards that. We're headed in the right direction. So we we expect and, and you know, are cautiously optimistic that uh, capacity will continue to increase throughout the, the season, and, and hopefully we will get to 100% at some point. 
What is the sense of the fans here not having affiliated baseball and having independent baseball for the first time since the Albany Colony Diamond Dogs in 2002? Are they accepting of this, and are they excited about it? You know, I, I think the response thus far has been tremendous. Uh, people seem excited. I think there's an understanding that um, the caliber of play, quite honestly, is going to be higher than, than what it was in the Penn League. You're not necessarily going to have the trajectory of a first-round pick coming here and then quickly moving on to the next level. But most of our players uh, on the, the current roster have played at AA or AAA. We have a few guys that have played in the big leagues. Uh, we've had three guys already signed back to affiliated contracts from major league organizations, um, and spring training's not even over. So um, I think we're going to you know, have a very polished high level of baseball here, and I think that the independent leagues, the partner leagues, are, are going to play a larger role in player development moving forward with the shifting model in major league baseball. Coming up, I'll speak with Albany Empire quarterback Tommy Grady. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Welcome back to the podcast. After a one-year hiatus, the Albany Empire is back. When we last saw the Empire, they won the 2019 Arena Football League's Arena Bowl title. Since then, the Arena Football League folded shortly after the championship game, the coronavirus pandemic hit, and the Empire joined the National Arena League. The Empire opens the season Saturday night against the Columbus Lions at Times Union Center. A familiar face will be quarterbacking the team, Tommy Grady. I spoke with Grady on Wednesday. Well, Tommy, welcome back to the podcast. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, how excited are you for the start of the season on Saturday? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, obviously, I'm, uh, you know, we're, all, we're all happy the season's uh, you know, about to start up and uh, get on its way. And, uh, Excited to see the fans out there for the first time in a long time. So I think everyone's excited and looking forward to the first game on Saturday. Yeah, last time we uh, saw one another, you won the help guide the Empire to the Arena Bowl uh, Championship in 2019, and then a couple months later, the league files for Chapter Seven bankruptcy and goes under, and then the pandemic hits. Uh, there's a new league, and the, uh, you don't play. Uh, you didn't play it all last year. What has the past year and a half been like for you? Two years. Um, you know, obviously, after the Arena Bowl, everyone, everyone was pretty surprised by the, you know, the, the team folding all that with the league and stuff, but uh, I think uh, with, with the pandemic hitting, it probably would have folded anyway, so um, it, was, it was probably probably a good thing happened then rather than later, but uh, I've just been working, um, you know, I spend a lot of time with my family and stuff and, and quarantine and uh, just been hanging out here in uh, Clifton Park area above uh, Albany. Well, that's good. I mean, I, did you miss playing last year? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I miss playing, you know, the, the biggest thing about, you know, not playing football is, you know, you miss uh, the locker room and, you know, you know 
all, all the stuff that happens in there, and it's just being around the guys and stuff like that. That's the biggest thing you kind of miss. But uh, obviously, playing playing uh, in front of fans is you know it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to not do that. It takes time to get, you know get over that. Yeah, uh, you're in a new league now, the um, National Arena League. Uh, what do you know about this league? I mean, it, obviously, it's not the arena league, but it's something. And uh, I mean, how much are you looking forward to playing in a new league? Yeah, so I actually played in this league in uh, 2017 before I came to Albany. Um, I played in the Jacksonville Sharks. Um, I was, the Jacksonville Sharks were a part of the AFL, and they decided to go to the NAL. And so I decided to, uh, we, my family decided to stay there for a year before we came up here. But uh, it's pretty much the same exact thing, um, same rules. The only, only big difference is the nets. There's no nets. It's just a field goal. So, um, But all the rules are you know identical to the, to the AFL. Um, and, and, the, and the game stuff, but it's it's uh, it's, it's just no, it's arena football. And you're going to see a lot more teams than you did in the two years you played in the, the arena league. I mean, it was just what four, six, four to six teams. Now you're going to actually uh, see some different teams this year. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's seven teams in uh, the NAL. So um, there, there's a couple more teams. Um, obviously, it's it's a uh, you know, new new phases. There's a lot more younger guys, um, you know, fresh out of college and stuff that we'll be playing against. Um, a lot of the veterans hung it up after the AFL folded, so um, it's a lot. It's a lot younger game, a lot less experienced, but I think these guys are catching on pretty fast. And now you have a new coach in Tom and Oz uh, replacing Rob Keefe, who was expected to be the coach, and then he left. Uh, uh, what do you know about uh, your new head coach, and uh, what do you think of his philosophies? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I just met him not too long ago, so I'm, I'm excited to see what uh, what what he does during the game and how. how uh, how he's how he's uh, you know making different calls in the arena game, but it's uh he's been good so far. Uh, obviously, uh, Keith had all that intensity and stuff, so it was great for the fan base. So we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, he's uh seems like a good coach so far, so we'll uh, we'll see how, how it works out. Yeah, I mean, uh, just uh, as far as the roster is concerned, a lot of new faces. Uh, what can we expect out of some of the the players that you're going to be uh, with this year? Yeah, there's uh, I think there's only me and maybe one other guy back from the, from the last team. Um, still trying to get more of those guys <laughs> to come back. But uh, there's obviously a lot of young guys, uh, a lot of guys that haven't played in the Arena Football League before. So uh, there's, a, there's a learning curve. Um, they, they, are, they are catching on pretty fast. Um, I'm excited for you know some, some of the young receivers that have been, been uh, you know, catching on really, really fast. And uh, offense line's been, been doing great in practice. So you know, we're just kind of uh, trying to catch on to everything fast and um, – just kind of learn this game, uh, you know, as it, as it goes, and uh, kind of learn each other. Yeah. What is it about the Albany fans that uh, I mean? I, you know, I was there for the, the championship game, and the place was packed, and they were just going nuts. What is it about this fan base that they love arena football so much? Uh, I think it's because you know, there's yeah, obviously the New York Yankees, the Giants, well, all those teams are down south. So I think we're, you know, the Albany, Albany Empire was kind of the big deal in this area, and uh, the fans were amazing. I mean, they were second to none. Uh, on arena football, so um, that's the biggest the biggest thing I missed about um, not having a team was you know the fan the fans were, were awesome. It was, a, it was a great atmosphere. Everyone loved coming to play here. I know the home team loved playing here, so I think we're all excited to get back to that. What keeps you interested in playing this game? Um, honestly, I was I was uh, pretty close to hanging them up. Um, I just uh, I felt felt this uh, you know one more year would be, would be fun and. Uh, I know the team, uh, they want to have a successful season, so I, th- I thought, uh, you know, play, play one more year and kind of take it year by year and see how it goes. Yeah. 
Well, Tommy, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, looking forward to seeing you play once again this season, and uh, good luck, and maybe another championships in the cards this year. Hopefully, that's the goal. Thanks for having me on. Coming up, I'll talk to the new Maine men's hockey head coach and former RPI player and union assistant coach Ben Barr here on the Parting Shots podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you. Be well, and please keep reading. Hello, this is Keith Griffin, our head baseball coach of the Amsterdam Mohawks of the Perfect Game Collegiate Baseball League. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back. My next guest played for the RPI hockey team and later was an assistant coach under Nate Lehman at Union. He was recently an assistant coach at UMass and helped guide the Minutemen to their first NCAA hockey title. His wife recently gave birth to twins, and on May 12th, he was named the new head coach of the Maine men's hockey team. Here is Ben Barr. Well, Ben, I appreciate a few minutes. I can, uh, want to first of all say congratulations on getting the job, congratulations on winning a national championship with UMass, and congratulations to you and your wife. Uh, you know, your wife gave birth to, uh, to twins just about, about a month ago. Have you had a chance to breathe? Uh, not really. It's been a crazy month, Ken. Um, all, all good things, obviously, but crazy nonetheless. So, um, yeah, my wife, uh, Tara, who's from uh, Wolverine, uh, 
in the area. She's uh, She's been a trooper, and we now have three little ones. So it's been a challenge, but it's been a lot of awesome things, and I feel pretty lucky. Yeah. Well, first we said congratulations on getting the main job. How excited are you to take on uh, your uh, take over a program like Maine, who has you know had success in years past uh, when under Sean Walsh, but they really haven't really gotten back to that level yet. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a challenge anywhere you go in our world where you know everyone in college hockey is uh, is good these days. There's a lot of parity and you know, a lot of teams that um, you know maybe weren't as strong back in the the nineties and you know, early 2000s and even back before then are now, you know, are now powerhouses. And so it's, it's, it's super exciting to go to a, go to a place with a tradition like me. Um, you know, it's also, uh, it's also, you know, it's going to be, uh, we're going to put our heads down and go to work and, uh, like we have everywhere else. And, um, you know, but it's being in a community that cares that much about hockey and that, uh, that, you know, the outpouring of support and, it's been it's been a crazy uh, week here, and uh, I, I I don't think I was fully prepared for how for how much they love hockey up in uh, up in Orono. Yeah, because uh, obviously you know you being a, uh, assistant coach of both Providence and UMass, you know obviously you played against Maine. Uh, what do you think Maine needs to do to, to get back on track, and what can you provide them? Oh, I mean, you know, it always kind of starts with um, you know with recruiting, and then you know, developing your players and having a good culture. And uh, I don't think that's a secret anywhere. And it's, it's, it, everyone says that it's not easy to do. It's easy to talk about, but it's not easy to do. So, uh, you know, I think it's just going to be a, you know, it's going to take a few years as, as it does anytime a new coach goes into a, uh, goes into a program, but it's just hopefully getting a little bit better every day, get a little bit better every week and month and year. And, you know, hopefully in a few years you're in a position to, to, to compete for championships. So, you know, it's not going to be a miracle, you know, even late, uh, you know, all of a sudden we're the 1993, you know, main team that was 41 and one or, or something like that. It's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, you know, hopefully a, a progression over the next few years where we can, you know, get back to thinking that we should, we should win every single, or we have a chance to win every game we play. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the circumstances getting the job, unfortunately, you know, the Red Gendron uh, passing away suddenly uh, the day before the Frozen Four. Uh, I mean, you, 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 I think you've been around Red. I mean, what was Red like as a person, and I mean, how big of a loss is he for college hockey? It's a, it's a really big loss. I didn't know Red um, as well as a lot of a lot of people in our game did. Um, you know, but the one thing that always stood out to me is that he, he always treated everybody well. Um, you know, whether, you know, I remember uh, running into him my, my first or second year at Union, you know, when I was 25, 26 years old. And, you know, not everybody always treats the young guys in the game um, well because, you know, we're all competitive. And, you know, but he would go out of his way to, to talk to you and, and make you feel comfortable and, and all that kind of stuff. I think he was with that with everybody. I think he's with that with his players. Um, with his friends, with the community up there, so it, it's a it's a big loss just because he was such a good person. And, um, and he treated he treated everyone uh, treated everyone well, whether he knew you or he didn't. And that's uh, I think that's a lot about him. Yeah, you interviewed for the RPI job uh, back after uh, Seth Apper was fired, and 
he didn't get it, and I think a lot of people were upset because they thought you were going to get that job, having been having been a player there. What do you think happened, and that did that affect your confidence about going after a head coaching job? Not really, Ken. I mean, you know, it's always disappointing, especially you know at the time it's your alma mater, and you uh, feel you're prepared for it, and that you've done the you've taken the necessary steps to prepare for it. So. It's always disappointing when you don't, you know, get get something that you're going after. But um, you know, our business is funny like that. It's uh, you don't know. You can never control all the factors that might go into a decision. And um, I think I learned that. And then I went through the UVM, uh, the Vermont um, process last year at this time, which was, which was interesting during COVID. But you know, they were looking for a coach as well. So um, you know, and I think I was close there, maybe the runner up. But I guess that it more assures you that you're doing, you know, that when you're getting to that point, you're doing something right. Um, you can't change who you are. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about those processes over the years. And, you, you know, like sometimes the sometimes those decisions are made and it's not necessarily based on the hockey aspect of it, I think. You know, and, and you know, maybe it's based on, you know, how I present in front of a, a group of uh, professors or what have you. And I, you know, and I, you think about it and you wonder about it and you wonder what can I do different. And at the end of the day, you realize, well, the, the, job, the right job will present itself when, you know, the, 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 the school that you're applying to appreciates you for who you are. So you start, you start trying to make changes to things that, change your uh, presentation or philosophy or whatever, then I, then I think you come off maybe a little bit less genuine. So uh, I don't know. It was always disapp- it's disappointing, Ken, but I don't think it, 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 it hurts your um, confidence or anything. I mean, it, these jobs are so hard to get. They're so coveted at, at our level that it's, uh, you know, you just uh, you keep plugging along and doing the best you can where you are at the time. Yeah. Yeah, you've worked under some great coaches, uh, starting with Nate Lehman at Union uh, and Providence, uh, Andy Murray at Western Michigan, and Greg Carville at UMass. What did you learn from each of those uh, coaches, and uh, what do you what can you take from them in, in helping you uh, become a head coach? Well, I think, um, as you know, you know, being familiar with the Union program and with Nate and Rick, you know, being there with those guys to start was. I was really fortunate to be able to be around two people like that as a young, you know, as my first full-time job. You know, even before that, at RPI around Seth, and uh, and then Jim Montgomery uh, was an assistant there at the time. So, like, I've always been fortunate to be around really good people, and I'm, I think I'm good at learning and, and listening and not <laughs> understanding that I don't know everything. So it was. You know, it was, it was really nice. So those first, you know, I saw you a lot in those years at Schenectady, leading up to that first uh, Cleary Cup, I think it was, in 2011, maybe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how rewarding that was for everybody. So, you know, Nate was a, I mean, super detailed, as you know. Um, you know, one of the best coaches in the game. Uh, you know, so for me to be there at the time when he was there and to be building that program with him and Rick was uh was super valuable for me as a young coach. And, um, you know, then going with to, to Andy at West, uh, Western for a couple of years after Providence, um, you know, I've known, I've known Andy and I'm friends with his, his, uh, his boys I played at Shattuck with, um, 
you know, so, you know, he's a pro style coach. It was a little bit different, good, bad, uh, took a, you know, learned a lot from him. And I, and I did as a play, as a player at Shattuck back in the day when he coached me. Um, and then Carvey was kind of a, is kind of the opposite of, uh, of me, um, personality wise, which, which I think was really good to, to see the other side of that too, which, um, you know, he just, he doesn't really say much. He just kind of lets you do your thing and, <laughs> so it's, I've just been around a lot of really, I, I'm super fortunate to be around oh, yeah. some of the best in the world, probably, oh, yeah. you know, and, I, and I've had a chance to be around, you know, multiple coaches like that, that are, um, you know, so it's, as a young guy, to, to be able to do that is, is fortunate, I think, is a big reason why I'm, you know, fortunate to be where I am now at Maine. And watching that championship game, uh Back in April, uh, I just noticed that he gave you an extended hug, gave Josh Penn, a former uh, union uh, student manager, an extended hug. It just it seemed like everybody was genuinely happy. I mean, Greg just seemed emotional about winning that championship. For you, it was your first uh, national championship. You, know, you, you were here right before Union got to the Frozen Four twice. Uh, you left. Uh, Providence before they won the championship, but for you, just uh, what was it like for you to be able to to hold that trophy uh, after beating St. Cloud? It was really special. It was um, to be honest with you, I never, I didn't think we would make it there to the end. Not that our team would make it there. I just didn't know if the season would make it there. You know, as as you know, with all the challenges of what. Uh, you know, what what had to go into playing. And, you know, some teams didn't get a chance to do that, unfortunately. So it was, you know, it was emotional for the guys just because, you you know, you, you made it there and you won and you, you, you reached the, the pinnacle of, uh, you know, what you can accomplish in that season. And uh, But it was also emotional just because it was, you know, our, our players were basically for eight months isolated, as, you know, as every team probably was in college hockey. Um that day, probably the first time they've actually seen their parents since August. Um, you know, all of us basically isolated ourselves during the year. So, like, it was emotional for a lot of reasons. It was also emotional because of the circumstances around the, the season. Um, so, you, you know, you allow yourself to, to enjoy it for a day or two. And then, you know, and then I had, I was emotional for other reasons because I knew my wife was I was actually felt guilty for being there because I knew Tara was close to giving birth to twins. And, uh, you know, I was just hoping she'd wait another day, which, you know, if you wait an extra week or whatever, which is great. But, um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot and it was nice to finally be around for, for one. Um, you know, and I, yeah, Carvey was, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's given me a lot of, um, you know, crap over the years about, you know, hopefully you stick around and we can, do it here and you know like so he's been great and yeah he, he acknowledged that at the end as did the players like we just had a really i think it was probably and i wasn't there for it i, I imagine it's probably similar to the you know 2014 union team that just like you know he really seemed like no one was going to beat him towards the end mm-hmm. you know yeah. um you know we had uh I, I we had that feeling this year with our guys and you know, like, we almost didn't get to play in the Frozen Four with the COVID scare there. You know, so we were like, well, as long as we get to play, I think we're going to keep winning. Just because we had such a strong, really good team, but the, the guys in the room and the culture was so strong. And, like, as coaches, you're just kind of like, 
as long as we get to play, I don't yeah. think we're going to lose today. You know, that's kind of how it felt. And the, you know? and the way you guys dominated uh, Minnesota Duluth, the team you lost to in the 2019 uh, championship game, the way you dominated them in overtime, it just seemed to carry over into the game against St. Cloud. And once you guys got a couple goals there, it was over. Yeah, it just, um, you know, you don't want to say, like, it was, you know, ever meant to be or, or whatever. But, you know, you, we just kind of fell. And, you know, Duluth took it to us for the first two periods pretty good. And, uh, you know, we were, you know, we didn't have, um, you know, a couple of our guys that were good players, Carson Gashevitz and uh, Jerry Harding. And then, um, you know, Philip Lindbergh is a great goalie. Uh, we knew Matt Murray would be would be fine. He's been, a, I think he's an all-time ones leader at, at UMass. So we weren't too worried there. But it was just a different lineup than we had played in quite a while. Um, but, like, yeah, once... <laughs> Once we came out in the third period, we scored that, that second goal. And the you know, guys will score to tie it. It just kind of seemed like our guys just knew, okay, we're we're okay now. We're gonna we're gonna win this game. We're gonna win the next game. You know, like you don't always you don't have that feeling as a coach a lot. And we kind of had that down this. You know, probably I even once hockey's playoffs started, we kind of felt like our team was in a place where these guys are not going to allow us to lose. <laughs> you know, and it's just, as a coach, you never really get to that point. You never really feel that way. But looking back on it, it kind of felt that way for us the last month, month and a half. Uh, as long as COVID didn't get us and we didn't get, you know, shut down or something, that was kind of going to be how it went, you know. Of course, uh, you are part of uh, big lore in the RPI Union hockey rivalry. Uh, you scored the two shorthanded goals against Union in Game 2 of the 2003 uh, first-round series in the ECC Hockey Tournament against Chris Mayotte, both on similar situations. I talked to Chris a couple weeks ago about that uh, after he got his name to coach, head coach at Colorado College, and we sort of had a laugh about it. And uh, What do you remember about that game, uh, just the way that was developing? You guys were down 2-1. Uh, to one. And, I, and I always remember, I know you scored the, the first one, and the next one and it happened again. I'm screaming in the press box about Mayotte. He's doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> so someone asked me that. I can't remember. Recently, someone asked me. About, it always comes up like every couple of years, you know, it's like uh, for whatever reason. And I, I like Mayo, like you just can't, like you just when you think it's going in the archives and it's never going to come back up again, it somehow comes back up. And, uh, well, someone tweeted about it, or just like after Mayo got the job or something, I think. And then I think Joel Beal actually sent us the tweet. It's just like, ah, it just won't go away. You know, it won't go away. But um, it, it was just one of those super freak things. Like, it, I mean, you were there. You would never, you couldn't have, that wouldn't happen again probably in 100 years. No. You know, like the same kind of play, shorthanded, you know, like, the puck comes right to me and shoot an empty net. Um, I, I just remember, like, yeah, I, I remember it well. I remember because we won the series after that. That was, I think, the deciding game. Yeah. And, um, you know, we hadn't had a great year that year, and Union actually had a good year. That's what they were, you know, obviously it was a home playoff series for them. But, um, yeah, I just I just remember thinking afterwards, it's like, okay, that was great that we won. I feel... I actually kind of felt bad for Mayo because I don't think he was making the wrong play. It was just like a super freak thing yeah. that happened twice. And um, <laughs> it was just, you can't escape it, which is hilarious yeah. to me because it's still long ago. But, like, you know, we're still, like, if either one of us is cultured, no one will probably ever talk about it ever again, you know? But because we are, it comes up every couple every couple years. And, 
like it's it's pretty funny like i you know i he, we get a laugh out of it i guess yeah so. <laughs> well I, I got i posted on my facebook page i'd be talking to you i got some questions from some listeners uh matt uh dukerkek i'm sorry dukek is uh asking uh, you mentioned in your press conference that it's going to take effort from everyone to get this program going again including fans Obviously, winning puts fans in the seats, but getting fans back at Alphon Arena sooner rather than later will help your bottom line to do more with the program. So what are your plans to engage with fans starting to start rebuilding the program from the bottom up? Uh, something that's, that never happened during Coach Gendron's ten, ten, uh, tenure. Yeah, I think it's just being available. I will say that it's the passion and fan base up there is, you know, and I've, I've, I've been on campus one day. I'm actually, I'm still in Massachusetts or in the process of, uh, you know, relocating, selling a place and finding a place to live up there. But, um, you know, like, UMaine is not, it's not the hockey program it is without the fans. Like, that's ultimately what makes our sport, not just at Maine, but anywhere. So, you know, I think recognizing and appreciating that is, um, is really important and you know winning ultimately is what brings people in or keeps them home so we have to put a product on the ice that the fans believe is getting better you know every year um showing improvement uh it's fun to watch they you know that is accountable and honest and all the things that we want in uh in a main black or hockey player um but also you know when the rules allow, obviously, and it seems like the world is coming back to a little bit of normalcy here. But you know, and I'm visible that I, that our players, you know, in time respective, have time to go out and, and give back to the community that gives us so much. So, um, you know, I, I can't speak on what's happened in the past, and you know, I don't know. Obviously, nobody was uh, talking to anybody in the past year, so that was <laughs> nothing really happened this past year. But um, we we have to show the same kind of support to our community as they do for us, and um, hopefully that you know we can do that and, and be sincere about it. Um, in order to you know, if they're going to support us, the way we, we want to support, we want to be supported. We need to we need to reciprocate that. So um, that's what we'll try to do. Okay. Uh, Kevin Broad, I think you know him, Kevin Broad. Uh, he's yeah, asking, you might not want to read this. You might not, might, might not want to read this one. But yeah, I think I know that. <laughs> All he's asking is, who's your favorite brother-in-law? <laughs> I, 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 you know what? Actually, it's a good question. He's he's definitely. I have three, but he's definitely third. So uh, you know, Ross Peruka and uh, Ian Summers are my sisters, so they're uh, they're one and two. Third, but, uh, no, I'm kidding. Kevin's a good man. He's a great teammate. And he's married to Kristen and uh, his sister. So we're, uh, never thought I'd be a brother-in-law with uh, one of my RPI teammates, but I'm a lucky man. Yeah. Another one of, I think, your former teammates, Mark Yerkowitz. Yep. Uh, he's asking. Oh, he's asking a serious question. You've been in some big pressure situations in your playing-slash-coaching career. How are you able to keep so level-headed with such a big head? <laughs> that was not a serious question, Ken. But uh, it sounded pretty serious until the very end. Yeah. And uh, that's that's a good question. I guess I just um, I got extra space to to chill out in my uh, inside this big head I have. So uh, you know, maybe it just keeps me calmer. Who knows? But yeah, thanks, Yerk. <laughs> 
Well, on that note, Ben, we'll appreciate again a few minutes and congratulations on everything. I know you've been swamped with between uh, being named the coach and uh, you know your wife with the twins and winning the championship. I just uh, hope you get a chance to uh, relax a little bit uh, in the coming months and then before you know it, the season will be upon us. Sounds great. Appreciate the time, Ken. Good to hear from you. I appreciate it, Ben. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and announce the latest winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. Our season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by 2nd Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to DailyGazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, I'm Kaylin Brown, Managing Editor of the Daily Gazette. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 14 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is Bill Ashets of Amsterdam. Bill wins a $50 grocery card. Congratulations, Bill. Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment was the VIP winner. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Pete Incavilia, Matt Callahan, Tommy Grady, and Ben Barr for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.